Hi folks, it's me, Chris. While Jeff takes a few to reorient his energetic vibrations or whatever, I wanted to take a moment to thank those of you who have sent a tip our way at coffee.com slash sorryhoney. I love writing, editing, and running Sorry Honey, and y'all help make it, well, financially feasible. So again, thank you. This next operation is based on an after-action report I found years ago on Alan Goodall's personal website, www.hyperbear.com. This was before it was fairly simple to find community-made scenarios online. I converted it into a short-form campaign, and I have loved running it every time. Mr. Goodall is a very talented game designer and has published a scenario in Stitching Fox's Fears Sharp Little Needles for Call of Cthulhu, and he currently writes for Arc Dream's Godlike and Wild Talents lines. Okay, well, thank you all for your continued listening, for your memes, and for keeping us honest in our Discord. Y'all are amazing, and I'm incredibly excited for everything we're about to start throwing at you. Let's hit it. Hello? What time is it? Who is it? Um, I don't know. I... Situation. Dream. Water. Retention. Sorry, honey. I have to take this. Well, it's another operation already. Thank you so much for listening to Sorry Honey. I have to take this. Coming along with us through strangeness and, well, sometimes some mundanity as well, but mostly strangeness. I'm Chris Hamjay, your handler. And at the beginning of Ops, we like to go around the table, so to speak and reintroduce ourselves. Same cast, so no no shakeups. But uh, but yeah, why don't why don't we start with with Eric? Hi, I'm Eric Lundberg. I'm playing Agent Prentice. Prentice is a accomplished surgeon and also an accomplished asshole. So he's got kind of he's kind of a double threat there. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm really excited to be playing this guy. So uh, boom. All right, my name is John Stecker. I'm here playing Agent Paris. He is a SOCOM Marine Raider, and uh, this is my third character in three seasons. <laughs> and uh, 
not a good track record now that I'm thinking about it. And I'm going to do my best. Boom. We, we believe in you. I'm Amber Crouch. I am playing Roizen. She is a Mossad agent currently on loan to the CIA for linguistics training off and on. She's She's been through the ringer the last couple of seasons, so she's definitely starting to get a little done with it. But we'll see how things go. Boom. <laughs> My name is Michael Zeno. I am playing Agent Ryan. He is an oil executive, very uh, motivated to learn a little bit more about the strangeness he's been encountering with Delta Green and over the past couple missions has gotten, I would say, uniquely intimate with the various uh, unnatural that we've been facing. Boom. Well, we have a little homework to do before we kick off proper something called the Delta Green home scene. Yeah, you'll hear from me a bit more than normal during this. After all, we had a bit of an issue maintaining the full R-Cell roster last stop. So I'll get things started. Now what happens to an agent if they don't come home? Carlton Hargrave stands away from the others. It's bad enough there's nothing in the casket, but watching all the sycophants crowding his mother and father pretend they give a single shit about their kid, well, it's stomach turning. They know nothing about him, nor did they ever care to. His little brother, always tucked away from all the social events and fundraisers, somewhere on the estate, his nose buried in Le Guin, Tolkien, Lovecraft, or Poe. The news hit Carlton harder than he expected it could. It's not like he was incredibly close with Lenny, even when they were kids, but he thinks part of him always saw himself as a protector or guardian of his naive, wide-eyed brother. Hell, he taught Lenny that first stupid card trick that set him off for years and years with an obsession for close-up magic, forcing his awkward self to perform for just about anybody who would give him a moment to try out a new method. Carlton smiles to himself, carefully maneuvering away from some non-profit director as she attempts to deliver a prepared consolation diatribe disguising a mewling appeal for his presence, his money, his time. The police were certain the boat was rented by Lenny. The paper trail, they said, was undeniable. Several scuba teams spent a few days shining lights on the jagged floor of the Los Angeles port, but found nothing. They soon gave up, waiting for the dirty waters to mercifully belch forth Lenny's body on some near future date. The note he left in that little rowboat, though, it didn't seem right. It didn't sound like the shy little kid full of hope and real emotion that Carlton had always envied him for. Carlton hates himself a little for perhaps not knowing his little brother as well as he thought. But Carlton hates himself even more for not reaching out more often, talking to Lenny, keeping in touch. Maybe if he had... No, no, something wasn't right about this whole thing. Carlton suddenly spins on his heels, leaving the gaggle of parasites surrounding his poor parents and the funeral home behind. He wouldn't let Lenny's memory be merely a passing tool for those wanting to squeeze more goodwill out of his family. He will figure out exactly what the hell happened to his brother, one way or another, even if it costs him his fortune. He will find Lenny. He will figure out the secret behind this little disappearing act.
Jenna closes the door. Aaron's boss has been by more often than she would have ever expected from an FBI stiff. She can finally admit to herself that his unlikely support has been, well, beneficial. Her world shattered when he first showed up at the door with the news. Flanked by two other dark-suited individuals she now can't remember the names of. She couldn't concentrate on anything while they went through the details of what exactly occurred, how Aaron had put himself in harm's way to keep a group of trainees safe, and what they said was an unexpected and highly improbable outlier event that circumvented all safety measures. She didn't absorb much else. Honestly, she didn't want to think about the details much. She still actually has most of the paperwork on the kitchen table, left untouched. Not for weeks. Aaron's paycheck continues to trickle into the joint account every other week. She's barely registered that it's triple in size. She vaguely remembers something one of the suits said about survivor pay. Stacy. Stacy barely understands what's happening. She's too young, too informed. There are going to be some hard conversations to be had quite soon. She still asks for her daddy before bedtime. This last visit, Aaron's boss just sat, just listened. He let her talk, vent about the absolute goddamn unfairness of it all. Her husband always called away and then just gone forever before they could really start their life. There's something in the man's eyes or his demeanor, some acute understanding that matches her own roiling and chaotic and sometimes nonsensical internal world. He's the only one who doesn't just half nod with that horrible, pitying smile that they're there. Jenna's just realized something. Aaron's boss, this this Agent Snedeker, it's, it's like he needs the catharsis from her just as much as she from him. Like they are the only two people in the world who can really understand this grief, using each other to try and make sense of a future that refuses to not overwhelm the present. Jenna sits down at the kitchen table. She finds herself reaching toward that stack of papers. Those are our in memoria for our fallen agents. Need that tissue now, I think. <laughs> Brutal. Yeah, yeah, pass the box, Jesus. Michael. Get that, Seriously. get that over there. So Chris sent me that for approval, told me to let him know if there's any amendments, and I didn't have any, but I just said, Mr. Steal Your Wife Snedeker. <laughs> I think that, uh, that, that they have a bright future, that family now. <laughs> <laughs> it's just adorable. Oh, Daddy Snedeker so stepped in here. <laughs> so let's uh let's go to some home scene propers now with our likely still living agents, Agent Prentice. After the long journey back from Detroit, Dr. Hampson's need to decompress weighs heavy on his mind and body. It's been a rough couple of months with Dr. Hampson pushing his schedule to the limit carving youth from the crags of age with his surgical tools. Now a mostly successful mission snatched from the jaws of defeat, and he even managed to prevent a KIA. It's a lot though, and still, Dr. Hampson records a reminder to follow up on that guy's recovery using his vague medical shorthand. Scarred patient's recovery, blood draws, workup, analysis, note anything unusual to team. Now that this business is concluded, Everett still has a good week of time cleared on his schedule and can finally unwind with some scotch, some blow, and a call to his usual company for a night of entertainment. Maybe a week of yachting and being seen around the elite of Miami in beauty and deliciousness is exactly what Dr. Everett needs. Bit of a 
hedonist, it sounds yeah. like. Well, this sounds like indulging a personal motivation. It, I, I'm not done reading, if you don't mind. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. It's, I think you're. I think you're done. Oh, We're done my here. God, it's so funny. <laughs> my apologies. Um, yeah, I was just trying to find my uh, my footing in that paragraph, and you just walked right in. <laughs> yeah, well, you can't you can't leave a gap like that, or somebody's gonna just snatch it all somebody's up. Somebody's gonna you. edit you out. Oh, please, please keep that in. Please keep that in. <laughs> Over the course of the week. He ignores check-in texts from Rodrigo Pastor, but answers those of Ahmad Ferrati, both partners at their surgery clinic. Rodrigo, it bugs Everett that comment he made not too long ago while they were out at lunch with Dr. Ferrati about how Dr. Hampson always spends lavishly whenever they go out, implying that Dr. Hansen has something to prove. So fucking irritating. Like Rodrigo somehow knows Everett grew up a Czech orphan with little to nothing. Like somehow it's written on his soul. Fuck him. Let him worry. And uh, yeah, he will be, as you said, Chris, he will be indulging in personal motivation. And that personal motivation being hard work deserves rewards. Nice. And it sounds like we also kind of touched on how his projection onto Rodrigo has affected his personal life. Right. Cool. Go ahead and roll a sand test. Here goes. You uh, failed your sanity roll. Woo. And so you will not be able to... uh, reap the benefits of indulging this motivation mechanically but i i still think the good doctor needed that break who's next i think agent paris is up yeah agent paris uh returns back to camp pendleton in california been pulled off of leave just to to head out and help wrap up this previous operation when he gets back he he keeps kicking himself very hard on himself for going back over that last firefight and how Seemingly, he just kept missing. As much as he would shoot, he kept missing everything, and he considers himself to be a pretty good shot. Never been the best top of his class, but certainly knows his way around a weapon. So uh, he digs in at the camp, spends day in, day out at the firing range, trying to stay focused, keep the, keep the memories of a horrific tentacled thing that he saw away. And in doing so, by, by focusing on his uh, focusing on his firearms, even though he had just met them, those other agents were part of his unit, and he was responsible for helping to keep them alive. And he almost lost one of them because, in the moment, he wasn't able to perform at the level he expects of himself. So, back at camp, he digs in day in, day out, on the firing range, and physical training every morning, every afternoon, every night keeping himself focused on what he's doing in that moment and working himself to exhaustion every every night so that he doesn't risk someone's life again due to his own failings. Yeah, you're going to att- attempt a test of firearms first. Go ahead and roll. All right. I succeeded. So since you succeeded, you will not be able to see an increase in that particular stat despite all of your effort as you throw yourself into this regimen. Marty. Let's go ahead and... Already pretty good, basically. Yeah, yeah. So uh, let's roll your other skill now. Athletics, let's see. Uh, failed, okay. There you go. So since you failed, this is obviously where you've seen some some major benefit to your effort. Go ahead and roll a 3d6. You're going to add significant percentage points to the skill for the time invested. So seven? Yeah, significant. Okay. Awesome. So go on to your character sheet, pop that on top of your athletic score, and let us know the... Outcome. 67, yeah. 
Agent Roizen, you're up. Roizen, despite only having spent two ops with Romeo and just those few days with Lenny, is really taking their loss to heart. Doubly so, because she feels she should have still been there. You know, she panicked and ran when she should have had the backs of her team. And in, in an attempt to get her head on straight to figure out where she stands with everything when she's not teaching she is driving up and down the atlantic seaboard hiking camping spending as much time away from people as she can trying to make herself right with what she has been through so at, at risk of stepping into the gap in speech i am assuming that this means you are engaging a back to nature mechanic for your home scene is that correct yes i don't think she was done Chris. okay <laughs> i was done. all right <laughs> <laughs> um you're obviously letting your other responsibilities lapse so you're going to reduce one bond other than bonds for delta green by one so make make your choice also roll a sanity test let's see how this does for roizen's fragile psyche all right so you succeeded meaning that you are going to add 1d4 sanity to your your current score. And you rolled a four. That's, That's pretty, uh, pretty useful. <laughs> pretty Especially useful. Especially for Ryzen. <laughs> so, uh, hey, the rules say what the rules say. Briefly describe the impact of this time away now that you know the outcome. She's one of the biggest impacts is she missed her weekly Skype call with her brother. The two of them are pretty close. They grew up, they're just a couple years apart. They both entered services at the same time. And, you know, one of Roizen's biggest goals in life is to just make him proud of her. By missing that Skype call, he's not terribly happy with her at the moment. And finally, Agent Ryan. After the team wraps up from the warehouse, Ryan heads back to his penthouse apartment or condo and cleans off, prepares to go to sleep, but finds he's not tired. You know, assuming that he's amped up from the the experience of the mission, thoughts of what he did, what he'd gone through specifically in, in killing that child. He tries to keep himself busy because he doesn't really have any desire to, to think about it, but kind of can't help from just being consumed by what's happening to him. He, within a few hours, you know, is, is, is in the bathroom and he looks in the mirror and, and sees that he has extra teeth. This has happened to him before a few months back after the, the first mission. And he had thought that he had gotten that taken care of discreetly, but uh, so no one would notice what's going on. But for some reason, they're back and that scares him a bit. So... He goes through the same channels, insisting that he kind of becomes his whole self again. But as the days pass and he's had about maybe four hours of sleep across five days, but feels as well rested as ever, he's a little bit fearful about what is what is going on with his body. He's becoming somewhat reclusive, especially from, from work. He'll attend essential meetings, but his assistant Chloe has had a really tough time getting in touch with him. and. He's missed several calls from his childhood friend, Maud. It wasn't until a call from his mother, you know, reprimanding his his distance 
that he uh, checked back in with his buddy and hear about how he's handling new fatherhood. Eventually, after a few weeks, Ryan has recognized that something is, is different. He wouldn't necessarily classify it as wrong as he's found great utility in needing little sleep but feeling mentally and physically peak. He's decided to kind of lean into whatever is is happening to him almost as if you know what there's there's something maybe the the universe is equalizing it after everything that he's dealt with he's getting something back but he's becoming fed up with just being a uh, an agent in it all and being told what to do and and being on the front lines of the madness that he's experienced so in a desire to uh take more control over his life one afternoon he decides to call agent snediger all right i'm gonna roll one second the call's brief and ryan you're surprised at how amenable agent snediger sounds hell you're surprised you even got him on the line but he agrees to meet you in the city public place of your choice he says you deserve face-to-face conversation where do you choose to meet agent snediger the Hard Rock Cafe? Yeah, you guys are seated right <laughs> next to the uh, Wookiee costume that was worn by Chewbacca's stunt double. It's got a bad smell to it, though. It really ruins the evening meal. Let's do 11 Madison Park in the Gramercy District. It's a really high-end restaurant, which I just looked up. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> Snedeker, seated across from you at this high-end Michelin star restaurant. He looks a little uncomfortable. He's wearing a suit, but after awkward silence, smattering of small talk, you pose your questions. Listen, I'm not sure how long you've been with this organization, but I get a sense that you know more about the resources at hand or the reach of Delta Green than I do. And I'm less interested in continuing just being a field hand here. I want I want to make a substantial impact in what we're fighting against. And I think that my expertise in my personal life, my professional life has great applicability to this organization. I think it's time that you leverage me further and read me into a little bit more of what you know. He nods, his fork stabs into a scallop on his plate. He shoves it into his mouth. And shoes slowly, swallows. Ryan, I hope you understand that what I'm about to say is something that was posed to me. Similar setting. He winces a little bit as he looks around. A little different, but similar. And I want to answer this better than how it was addressed back then. Our group, it has, as you can imagine, fingers in every pie. But it doesn't necessarily have all the fingers connected directly to a fully aware nervous system, if that analogy makes any sense. Sometimes the left hand doesn't know what the right is doing, etc. This is not because we are competent, (laughs) necessarily. It is because we need to do this by necessity. We have been through a storied history, this program. One where we weren't as uh, free to operate the way we are now. And as you know, we are barely free to operate. 
A lot of concessions have been made. A lot of structures have been put in place. More structures have been put in place that have now been forgotten than are currently in place. Sometimes they reactivate on their own. He looks at you markedly. You're not really following. What I can say is it's not just your experience that brought you in as a full-fledged employee. It's, it's also your position. And so when you come to me and you offer those resources, well, I want to talk to you very candidly here. The program, the directors, they have full intention to use what you have to offer, whether you're offering it or not. You are part of a group that is fighting a war on many fronts. Some fronts that are impossible for me to really describe to you. So, I'm going to read between the lines. You want something in return for what we ask of you. And what we ask of you is always has a steep, steep price. And it sounds to me that you want more information. Well, I can help with that. But just me. You're going to be called in again. I can't promise that I'm going to be your contact. But what I can promise is that I respect you. I want to keep you and your team alive. I can also tell you that directors want to see how you perform when called into the field again they would like to consider you for what something they call a promotion dubious in my opinion i think you're much better served working with me on the side to keep you and your team alive but just a heads up that you are on their radar who are so that's the... all i can really promise who are who, who are the directors yeah tell me more about that i know little myself that's by design. I can tell you that Director Manon is police, undoubtedly federal, but that's about it. I'm kept at arm's reach from our so-called leadership. And again, it's important that I'm kept at arm's reach. How did you how did you get pulled into Delta Green, Snedeker? I got pulled in the late 80s. This was a different time. Real seat of your pants stuff. Uh, we operated outside of any official sanction, even the dubious ones we do now. I saw some things that, as you can relate, put me directly in the crosshairs of, well, folks looking for people like me. I didn't lose my shit, I didn't go to the press, so here I am, decades later, still alive, trying to keep you alive. Does Ryan know if Snedeker knows his actual name? Ryan does not know that. I think that that sounds agreeable, but I'd like to propose a renewal or establishment of a new level of trust between you and I. We've worked together. We've lost colleagues. Tell me, is is Snedeker your real name or is that a code name like Ryan? It's the code name that I've been activated under to work with you. I have several others. What's your actual name? Go ahead and roll your charisma plus 20%. I don't remember in this game is plus good or bad plus is good good i succeeded there you go my name's roger now you wish you didn't know roger felder ryan furrows his brow in disgust <laughs> yeah, <I'm> sorry. <laughs> sorry 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 chris go ahead let's start <laughs> i work for spacecom or at least i did it's been rolled into the new space force initiative i want to help you i have resources too and i think they can be of use to you but Maybe in the field. It's how we used to do. It's how we used to run things. And maybe I don't agree with how things are, well, completely agree with how things are run now. 
There's been a lot of, uh, there have been a lot of losses, and there's been a lot of shakeups, been a lot of backlash towards SOP. Well, let's just, uh, let's just say I'd like to try something, do some field testing of another approach, one that I think has a precedent. So use me. Call from a burner phone. Use that number you contacted me on. If I can help, I will. Ryan extends his hand across the table. Scott Malik, very nice to meet you, and I look forward to working with you. Scott Malik, let's keep you and your team alive. He shakes your hand. That's the end of that scene. Unless, unless I, unless I overstepped again. Did I? Did I? Did you have more to say? No, it's fine. Go ahead. You gonna comment on the scallops <laughs> on the food? I almost <laughs> did, but I am reining it in today. Princess, it's uh, fall, 9.30-ish at night or so. What are you up to on a typical weeknight around this time? Probably out late <laughs> eating eating at a fancy restaurant. By yourself? He has a bevy of whores. Well, attractive young women who <laughs> who like being wined and dined. That, whores. On, uh, you know, on his phone that he, he will call at a moment's notice. So while he is entertaining his bevy can't help but notice that coming through front doors are two men in it's i guess camo military gear you kind of squint over and look at it they're carrying openly look like assault rifles you're not the only one looking over concerned and almost immediately you watch the manager just shoom across the floor to see what the heck is going on you watch as badge is shown the men look incredibly serious the manager looks first furious, then begins to calm down. Suddenly, all three of them turn, and they look straight at your table. Before long, the two men stride over. First one says, Sir, we need you to come with us immediately. There is a matter of national security that requires your attention. If you could please pick up your possessions and come with us. Dr. Hampson stands up, struggling to hold back a big beaming smile as he opens his wallet and um, throws down a pile of hundreds on the table and says, uh, ladies, I'm sorry, I, I'm needed elsewhere. They seem suitably impressed, shocked, as you are escorted out of the restaurant by these two men. Before long, Agent Prentice, you find yourself on some sort of very uncomfortable aircraft. You're driven to a small, military base, looks like it's US Army, and loaded up like so much cargo. You're not told where you're going. In fact, the men around you say little. One of them finally cracks and says, he's been instructed not to say anything at all. So it's a silent flight to who knows where. Agent Paris, where are you? 9.30 Eastern time on a typical weeknight. Probably wrapping up a run before dinner. As you're jogging around the, uh, the track, you actually see one of the 
base commanders. He's a visiting commander coming in near the entry fence and he raises two fingers, waves to you, motions you to come over in his direction. You run up and you salute, quickly gaining your breath. He nonchalantly salutes back. Sergeant Trace, you're done here. Transport is being prepped to leave on field D. You have 10 minutes to get your basic team's gear from your barracks and be on that aircraft. Yes, sir. All right, no questions for him. You just... That's he just says cool. <laughs> you just say cool. It's a, it's a, uh, <laughs> probably more importantly. Uh, where to? Not important, Marine. You'll receive full orders when you disembark. Get a move on. All right, sir. I'll be there in five. You have time to throw together a quick go back, but it's not as complete as you might like. For long, you're on a jet headed towards New York City. Royzen, where are you around 930? Uh, Royzen would be in her room, grading papers and going over lesson plans for the next couple of days. And you're, you're at Camp Perry, correct? Correct. The phone in your room rings and you're talking to an ops coordinator. Apparently, all of your assignments, your classes have been put on hold and you're to jump on an Air Force transport to New York City immediately for a matter of national security. Uh, sir? Nice and easy. Wouldn't it be faster for me to drive? <laughs> the ops coordinator says, I'm sorry, you need to get on this transport within the next half hour. Pull together what you might need and report to, and he uh, directs you to one of the airfields. Yes, sir. Roizen will grab the go bag she already has ready, sitting next to the door, and off she goes. Ryan, where are you around 9.30 Eastern time? Probably just finishing dinner. So either... You know, wrapping up at the, the restaurant or heading back to my apartment or condo apartment. I'm calling it an apartment. Well, similar to what happened to Agent Prentice, two armed security forces individuals enter, are guided to your table right as you're about to wrap up and leave and announce in hushed tones that you are to be escorted immediately out of the restaurant due to a matter of national security that requires your attention. Wait out front. Let me uh, wrap up here. And then he signals the the waitress over. They look at each other. Uh, they don't they don't move, but they they wait for you to wrap up your business. That's fine. Finish paying the check and then head out with them. Before long, you're in a military Humvee and you are flanked by these two gentlemen in the back, while another is in the driver's seat. They begin driving you east. No one says a word. Into the Hudson. Yeah, you guys <laughs> go straight into the water, but thankfully. It's a transformer, so it turns into a <laughs> the wheel submarine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're good to go. It's Propellers fine. Yeah. Phew. Do you ask them anything, gentlemen? Is it safe to assume you have no details either around what this is concerning? The driver peers at you through the rearview mirror and says nothing. One of the men next to you says, "Sir, we're we're to remain silent on the trip over. We'll be there shortly." I can't even think of anything quippy, so I'm just gonna go with okay. Each one of you is brought over from disparate points, continental US, to what was once Griffiths Air Force Base, now is Griffiths International Airport, Technology and Business Park as well. And your arrivals are staggered. You are kept outside in the dark on the side of the airstrip behind a reflective barrier, flanked by several armed security forces individuals who are just as closed-lipped as those who escorted you from your lives. Final plane touches down, one passenger disembarks, and you can see that two halves of two Delta Green cells have been brought together, 
stand here in the dark, cell P, cell R. You each look at each other's faces, tired. For some of you, hours have passed as you stand here, not knowing why you've been brought in the middle of the night to a, an old Air Force base, or some sort of business park, and looking at the state of the complex and the campus, heavily under construction. You're loaded up into another Humvee, this time quite armored, and before they let you in, smartphones, pocket computers, really anything with a capacitor or microchip is taken off your person, placed in several sealed Faraday bags that are kept by a security forces escort. You're driven across the airfield down a long, straight single lane, barely paved road towards a single story brick building. It's on the other side of the sprawling campus. Again, it appears construction is planned, but is well, either yet to begin or midway through. But inside the brick building, you're led to an elevator after passing through several floors, sublevels perhaps. Doors open into a bustling underground facility full of cubicles and seeming intelligence personnel who don't take notice of you. Uniformed individuals who are working side by side with what appear to be civilian contractors in plain clothes. Again, they don't even look up as you pass through this maze into a small conference room. A whiteboard covers one wall. Projector screen sits at the front of the room. There are small student desks arranged in a grid facing the screen. Your military escort does not enter the room, but you see two guards remain posted outside. For a moment, all four of you are alone when the door shuts. Is it safe to assume none of you know why we're here either? I know nothing, and I would be extremely surprised if this room isn't under surveillance. I mean, sure. Are the lights on? The lights are definitely on, yes. Buzzing fluorescence overhead. Prentice would be curious about Ryan and how he's doing, so... Prentice, when, when he sees Ryan and, and they have no one around, he says, How have you been feeling? Great. Really great. Appreciate the stitch job you did. It seemed to have... Uh, he just kind of, you know, taps his torso or whatever. You know, seems to have uh, held everything in place. So, thanks for that. Everything's healed well and you're feeling good in spite of the Feeling fantastic. fantastic. Absolutely. Okay. And you haven't noticed any physical differences? Like what? Uh, after your injury, I did notice uh, you were a bit vascular. And I don't mean... I don't mean... In, in a sexy way? <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean in a natural way. Ryan kind of rolls up his sleeve. I seem like everything's okay. Shows him his arm. I'd like to draw some blood and run some analysis on that when we have time. I would love a cookie. <laughs> so sure. I'll get you I would all the say you both of those things are equally likely. The door opens, interrupting your conversation. Ryan winks at uh, right, right as the door is open to kind of close the close the loop. Paris does kind of look over at Prentice and kind of cocks an eyebrow. Got it. Eyebrow cocked. Yeah, like a pe the people's eyebrow. The people's yeah, eyebrow. The people's Very people's eyebrow. eyebrow. Okay. Uh, kind of. He kind of like side Prentice side eyes. Uh, side eyes. Ryan is like looking at Prentice, like you know, people's eyebrow. No, we got it. It's a cocked eyebrow. Yeah. Prentice quirks his mouth at that and gives Paris a very subtle shake of his head. Sorry to interrupt this this body language pantomime, <laughs> but uh, the door opens. A gentleman you've never seen before walks in. He's got short, well-kept hair. He's wearing a perfectly pressed United States Air Force uniform. He has a darker complexion. His eyes are a very noticeably and disarmingly gray color. Closes the door, smiles. 
Good morning. I'm Porter. Good morning, Porter. Go ahead and take a seat. He gestures to the loose configuration of student desks across the floor. You've got a transport waiting outside, so we should probably make this quick. Welcome to Operation Molten Carrier. You are now being read in. He waits, waiting for you to sit down. Ryan's going to sit on top of the nearest desk. And Prentice will uh, unbutton his sport coat and, and uh, have a seat. Other two just standing? Uh, Paris falls. Avi's at attention at this point. She has not been released. Well, Royzen. Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, does this guy come in like with rank? And then also, I, I don't even, I'm not super familiar with military etiquette. So would he be standing at attention as well? It's like it's... Both of you see that he's a lieutenant colonel. Okay. He's not staying at attention. He's incredibly casual, in fact. And he has told you to take a seat. Right. Yeah. Does he comment on Ryan's vascularity? <laughs> he hasn't yet, but you can see that his eyes are running the length of your your exposed arm as as you lean against that uh, student desk. Excitedly? You can't tell yet. Uh, he's an inscrutable man. <laughs> uh, Paris follows Prentice and sits down next to him. Porter That's saunters so in front of you with all of the informality of maybe a professor in a lecture hall rather than a military leader. Seems at odds with his finely pressed uniform. So five hours ago, a civilian national was found dead in his room at the Crosby Street Hotel. The man's name is Francis Ng. That's spelled November Golf. And although I don't have access to the case files, he was under investigation by the FBI and the IRS for money laundering as part of a much broader RICO probe. Now he was under warranted surveillance tonight. That's how his body was discovered. Apparently he was talking on his cell around 7 p.m. There was an equipment malfunction with the surveillance gear. And once he came back up, there wasn't another peep from Ng. The FBI field team checked on their target after 90 minutes or so, and then discovered he was dead. Now, uh, no individuals were seen coming or going from Ng's room during the interim period. He has a half smile and he pauses for some effect. He looks out at each one of you, but before anybody can say or do anything, he continues. I do have preliminary details from the scene. He clicks something in his pocket on the whiteboard as the projector whirs to life. The image of a grossly distended, bloated corpse appears. It's black, blue in areas. Large, crisscrossing blue veins over its corpulent form. The size of it is, well, if the twin beds next to it are of any comparative value and understanding, well, it's, it's, it's very, very large. This is an extreme level of bloating, Porter smiles, for a man positively identified as Francis Ng. He was seen entering the hotel only a few hours prior to when this photo was taken by the investigators. The phenomena you are looking at has been red flagged by the special access program. I have CDC credentials for all of you. Now the FBI is currently in a holding pattern. It's still a, a hot site. They've completed basic quarantine protocol on the hotel floor. They've removed all hotel denizens under the guise of an unlikely bomb threat, etc., etc. Now the only other individuals on Ng's floor were planted FBI and the lead IRS investigator. They're now within the quarantine zone until the CDC, that is, you, he motions to the room, you release them. 
We'll provide you with a van. It'll have proper registration, as well as uh, biohaz protection and a basic testing station. Mission is basically the same as always. One, evaluate the presence of preternatural activity. Either verify or dismiss the red flag. Two, if such activity is found, remove all evidence, proceed to investigate. Three, neutralize and remove the source of the activity. And four, maintain a conventional cover throughout the opera. He looks at you all. He has a slight smirk. Local press is not on the ground. Your van is unmarked. The media doesn't yet know about the bio quarantine. Right now, it's just another phony bomb threat being filmed on iPhones by every nightcrawler with a YouTube channel. Here's the number you can contact me at if and when you require assistance, but my reach will be limited once you're in the field. You'll be on your own for the most part, and if your identities are compromised, we do not have a scramble protocol in place, so be cautious. Questions? Has the body been autopsied? Whole place has been quarantined, untouched. They're waiting for you, CDC expert. Sir, when we arrive, who should we ask to speak with? FBI is waiting for you. They're the ones who put in the request for a CDC field team. Again, that's you. You'll have credentials, and as long as you run things right, you don't raise any eyebrows, you should be in and out. And does does the IRS and FBI on that floor, have they reported any symptoms or signs of discomfort? It's all happened about five hours ago, Agent. Why don't you go check it out? Okay. All right. He uh, rubs his hands together. Loud clap kind of brings you to attention for a moment. If that's it, let's get you to the van, and you can make your way to the Crosby Street Hotel. Does anybody else have any other questions? How old is this dude? Can't really tell. Middle-aged? Late 40s? Mid-50s? Okay. What's his name again? He Porter. told Porter. you his his name is Porter. Porter, that's right. Sorry. He's very uh, spunky. Spunk? By Agreed. the narration. Agreed. Full of spunk. Did you want to ask him about that? His spunk? Uh-huh. Oh, boy. I do not want to hear about that. <laughs> okay. Where do you get your I love spunk? Eric. Oh, boy. <laughs> do you have a vendor? Do I want to ask him about it? A little bit. I do, but I'm not going to. I'm too innocent for this I conversation. Do, <laughs> you four file out of the small room, and What's you're your escorted. Right. <laughs> Back outside of this small brick building after traveling again on the elevator up and out. True to his word, there is a large white van waiting for you. Engine is running. Armed guards stand in front of it. Move out of your way as you approach. Upon cursory inspection, you do see that the back of it is decked out in what looks like a small mobile laboratory. It looks a bit, honestly, back there like an ambulance, except there's a lot more equipment that maybe only Prentice is familiar with. There are two bucket seats up front, smaller fold-out seats right behind those two. I need to know who's driving. Not it. Not Prentice. Not it. Ryan will drive. Ryan, you go ahead and take the wheel. I will uh, reiterate, you've been given by Porter CDC credentials. They have your pictures and false names on them, names you've never seen before. There is a government registration on the dash of this vehicle, but otherwise it's unmarked. So it doesn't say Centers for Disease Control, like mm-hmm. on loud, you know, loud letters on the outside or anything. And it's like a, a big pr- fleet panel van? Correct. Correct. And the back is full of what looks like medical equipment. You actually see some plastic wrapped and hanging biohazard suits with full masks. 
Things yeah. for disease controlling. A bright orange color. Chris, do we need to like, this is more of like a practical question. Do we need to like know our fake names? If it becomes very important, we will uh, we will come up with some really good fake names. Okay. I don't suppose our electronics were returned to us. That is a great question. They are. Those Faraday bags are produced and your possessions are returned. I guess we head over. I assume that, you know, Ryan's been given the address or whatever it is. Oh, yeah. Crosby Street Hotel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You leave waved through the security gate. You're on your way to the middle of New York City towards the Crosby Street Hotel. As you approach, you see that the area around it has been cordoned off by the FBI. There are blatant FBI vans and vehicles in the street in front of its entrance. You see local police beyond what looks like a portable bollard barrier. They're diverting small groups of gawkers. There are a few folks waving their phone cameras around the scene, but they appear fairly bored. Ryan, the van is allowed through the cordon, and you can see, all of you can see, that cameras soon lazily swivel in your direction. Just keep on driving. You are motioned to park behind another FBI van, and you all disembark out of your vehicle. There, you are met by several FBI agents wearing blatant windbreakers. Quickly flashing your credentials, you are hurried through the lobby of the Crosby Street Hotel. And so Prentice would um, be sure to grab us all the hazmat suits before we uh, leave the van and whatever equipment we would need for cordoning off the area. You're going to start taking out the orange biohazard suits? Mm-hmm. Are we does everybody? Does everybody line, agree with that move? Are I we still in that. line of view of anyone? Like 100% like everybody oh, has are? cameras trained on you right now. That's oh, what okay, I, then that's no, what I that wouldn't happen. I th- okay. okay, I misunderstood the way the parking yeah, situation so was going. All of the cameras mm-hmm. lazily swiveled in your direction as you went through the cordon. You went through the cordon like four car lengths to park. I so see. All, okay. the, all the road gawkers are still there. They're behind a portable bollard. You are still outside in front of the Crosby Street Hotel. Gotcha. Can we find a place to privately park? I was going to say, can Ryan roll down his window and talk to whoever motioned them through the cordon? Hey, with all these people here, we're going to start a public incident if they see us bring any equipment out of here. We need to, we need to be behind this building or or somewhere out of sight where else can we park it's new york i i don't know a better place to park if you have equipment uh you know i i can go talk to one of the hotel staff and see if there's maybe a a cargo lift somewhere he shrugs yeah have him do that we'll wait here he shrugs and walks off i mean chris or does ryan see other, like, are there, other, I, I can't even visualize this, but, like, are there cars that, like, we can park behind? You know, even, you know, if there's other people and stuff, just something that's kind of like a visi- a, a visibility blocker kind of a thing? No, there's not. That'd be, like, a service in the back somewhere, you know, where, like, the... Right, like service like parking or some kind of underground parking for guests? There might be. Do you guys want to pull back out and go look for something? You, you can do whatever you want. I mean, I'm just telling you I'm just trying to wrap my head around the space. Yeah, if you want, if you want to, I feel like I'm being difficult unnecessarily. No, you guys can no, do whatever really. you want. I mean, like we're we're agents and we're. I just think it's trying not, to yeah. avoid a, a a media event. Yeah, let's inside. So this is the Crosby Street Hotel. Oh, and we just like are pulling right up front, basically. Is there like a service entrance? Yes, that's where the that's where the cordon is, and and all of the police and FBI presence. That's correct. Yes, yeah, like a service entrance around back or something might be better for us to. You guys are welcome to yeah. search for service entrances. Of you can do whatever you let want. Let me do that. Let me do that. I in mean, character. can we just look and see on either side? Oh, so let me do that in character. It's like Paris is like, hey, if there's a um, 
service entrance somewhere around back that we could find. That might be better suited to what we're trying to accomplish here. Sounds good to me. Do, I mean, can we look and see, like, is there, you know, side streets on flanking the hotel, or is it all continuous? Is so there next, no, are there no next alleys? to the right next to the Crosby Street Hotel is what looks like a mixed use complex going north on the south side. There is a street that continues down towards some high rises and office buildings. Uh, you are in the middle of downtown. There, sh- there might be an alleyway or at least a footpath back there. Maybe there's a a place you can get a large vehicle, you would imagine. I mean, there has to be large deliveries to a block like this somehow. You're welcome to drive around and look. Do we circle the block to look for it, or... I mean... I'm actually... So, I'm kind of cheating on Google Maps. There actually oh is not. <laughs> <laughs> if this is the same... So, so that's, totally, that's totally legit. You're not cheating. There is not. That is correct. That is what you would find. So, John, as oh, Paris, so yeah, do that as Paris. As right? Paris, you looked this up, and you now see that there's no obvious service entrance if you drove around yeah, this. I can do that in character. Um, Paris is actually that was fine. You don't oh, have to. That was cool. all good. I'm down with that. All right, let's let's not take anything out of the back yet. Let's let's yeah. head inside. Let's call Nathan Make- Fielder and get a solution. <laughs> as you're as you're kind of talking inside the vehicle you see a coterie of fbi agents leave the front lobby led led by a dark-skinned woman who looks like she is exuding a level of authority she makes a beeline for your vehicle look we just can't have women of authority telling uh, us what to do excuse you <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh my goodness this woman uh has short black hair and again is exuding a level of authority as she approaches she yells i'm special agent rachel glenn we need you in the lobby as soon as possible do you need to unload equipment i guess not right now but we may eventually and uh i don't think pulling hazmat suits out of the back of a van in the front of a crowded street's gonna be uh a good idea she nods can you figure out a place for us to do that discreetly while we get briefed in the lobby or a way to unload discreetly it's been a bitch trying to get anybody in and out of this building. It's not exactly set up for what we're talking about here. Why don't we go inside and have a, a more open discussion? She glances over at all these cell phone lights that are well, a good clip away, but they seem to be too close for her comfort. Yeah, that's yeah, good. Yeah, I, I have to burst, our, burst everyone's bubble here, but uh, on Google Maps, if you go to Street, you you go, you go to street View... There's a giant sign in front of this hotel that says truck loading only right at the front. So, yeah, that's where they do all the service stuff. It's right there, right at the front door. That is, that is correct, <laughs> John. You get everyone. one experience or ten experience points. Oh, you, oh, cool. your, you can't do anything with real those. world insight. I, I leveled Chris, up. Did you pick this place up. specifically for this? Or is this all just happenstance? Who wants to follow the special agent? <laughs> I love that haunting silence. Let's follow the uh, special yeah, agent. We'll follow her. It's a modern, brightly lit hotel. Right now, there are purple fluorescent accents everywhere. Some sort of anniversary celebration that you barely register. You follow Special Agent Rachel Glenn across the floor. There are FBI agents and uniformed police officers standing about, not doing much. But they glance as you enter, all four of you. She takes you to the elevator banks, past the unmanned clerk's desk. It's a long... U-shaped wraparound. And she turns, spinning on her heel. She says, Listen, the 14th floor, gone ahead and cordon and quarantine that off. 
per, per your SOP. I've got Agents Yates, Turner, Simpson, and Hale up there, as well as an investigator with the IRS. Her name is Carson Kovacs. They're uh, in room 1403. They've shown no signs of ill health since interacting with the body, but that's where they are. They're ready for you to go ahead and release them if, if it's okay to do so. The body itself is in room 1409. Only very basic forensics work has been completed. I haven't been in there. This is what I've been fed down. Once contagion was raised as a possibility, that's when we called you. We need your field consultation done as quickly as possible. This is just SOP. All samples are up there in the at the crime scene. The room's not been touched. No articles have been removed or cataloged. Have I gotten everything? Yeah, what were the agents' names again? That's Yates, Turner, Simpson, and Hale. Which one's your favorite? That's going to be I'm Simpson. <laughs> by far. Ryan does not actually... He always brings idiot. coffee and donuts. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that sounds good. Assume we head towards the elevators. We've got a little mobile lab set up there. But again, if you need more equipment, we'll do our best to uh, keep the gawkers back for you. That'd be great. We, we need to discreetly bring that up, and some of that stuff's very flashy, noticeable. She nuts. She nuts. If you need a call down for anything, this is the number we're using right now. Do you need any other equipment? We should get the suits out of the van, at least. Yeah. Thank you, uh, well, Agent Well, if, if people have already entered the room without hazmat suits, I don't well, know Well, that's if... why they're, they're quarantined on that floor. Yes, we don't want oh, to be joining them. Got it, got it, got it, got it. I understand. Cool. Well, uh, let's let's have them discreetly bring us that stuff, and let's maybe take it to floor thirteen and gear up there and go on up. I hear you. So, Chris. So I like I, I'm fine with that. And and sorry to interrupt you. I'm fine yeah. with that. So you're leaving it to the FBI and police. Is that correct? I'm leaving what to, to bring them? in the hazmat suits? I I'm just. I am just confirming because you said they're going. You would like them to discreetly bring them up for you, right? Yes. Okay, so you're leaving it to them. Yeah, just confirming. Yes. This okay. This is a trap. It feels like a trap. And Ryan, what were you gonna say? Everything's Did a trap. Did you say that this is on floor 14 because in hotels when they skip 13, floor 14 is actually the 13th floor and it's just extra spooky? You guys head towards the elevator. <laughs> and Ryan, your finger. <laughs> drifts a bit and hovers over where you would assume to see a 13, but it moves to 14. <laughs> and you press that instead. That pesky Literally. figure of mind of its own. 